All right. Well, we have a very special guest today, and I'm here in Pasadena at the studio of Ryan Bell, aka his home. <laughs> So nice to have you, Ryan, on the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming out and uh, bringing your equipment to my place. Oh, for sure, dude. <laughs> I'm using his equipment too, so it's all good. Um, let me tell you how I discovered you. So this is really interesting. Um, so I put it on Facebook a couple weeks ago that uh, that I'm starting up the show, and then someone's like, "Oh, you got to have you and you and Ryan Bell should connect." So I was like, "Ryan Bell, right? That's not Rob Bell, you know." So I, 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 looked, <laughs> I looked you up, and I was like. Oh, yeah, that's a guy from like a year ago, right? Where you started up a blog called A Year Without God. Or at least that was the title of one one blog, right? Right, then the whole blog became... Oh, and then that, the whole That was thing. the blog called... Yeah, it was oh, called A Year Without God. what was God. it called before? Oh, I, it was a brand new blog. I started oh, really? it brand new in January of 2014. What, what was the name? I'm just curious. A Year Without God. Oh, okay, crazy. Yeah. And success. <laughs> Without blog. Um, and I remember I, I found that. And then I was like, oh, that's a dude that was an atheist for a year. And then to be honest, I forgot about it. So I, I, I heard about it. Um, and then I was a little skeptical in the beginning when I at least heard of the, the idea. And then I forgot about it. And then after that, uh, after someone told me to connect with you, I actually looked you up on podcasts. And I uh, started listening to your interviews. And I got to admit, dude, like, like, I probably heard like two or three at first. And I was like, dude, it sounds like me a little bit, you know? And... I like this guy, you know, because if, if I didn't like him, that would be sad because then you sound like me, <laughs> you know. And um, but I mean, what what I mean is, is I really appreciated the honesty. And so I heard the podcast where you're on with like the, the agnostic hosts and the atheist hosts and even the Christian ones. Right. And to be honest, like the one on the, the, the Christian podcast, it was really interesting the way they were kind of uh, trying to, you know, share their explanation differently than you. And then you were giving them a little bit of some questions to think about. Um, but the way you responded to them to get the Christians to think, I'm like, I like that, hmm. you know, because you're not very dogmatic and it just seemed like you're just being like a genuine person saying, hey, this is where I'm at. And that's a part where like wherever I listen to anybody, even if you're atheist, agnostic, whatever, it's like if someone's just being honest and, and not like pushing it on a lot of people, you know, or calling people a bunch of idiots just because they differ. I, I like those kind of, I'm drawn to those kind of people. So that's why I was drawn to you, bro. So why, why don't we start from the beginning um, and just give me your story, you know, and you could, you could start wherever you want to, but how everything ended up leading to this whole year without God deal. Um, let's see. So I started my career as a pastor straight out of my undergraduate Straight out of degree. Compton. Straight out of Compton. <laughs> straight out of <laughs> seminary. <laughs> that wouldn't be a good movie. <laughs> no, straight out of seminary, no. <laughs> cool, that's all right. I go for that a lot. <laughs> no, that's good, that's good. Uh, it was natural. So, um, yeah, I was, I was right uh, out of my undergraduate degree, and I started um, as a pastor in the suburbs of Philadelphia. There were three, oh, okay. three churches there, and I was... Uh, I was raised Seventh-day Adventist, and so that was just kind of the, the world that I was a part of. I hadn't really... I used to say to people, I didn't choose Seventh-day Adventism. It sort of chose me. Okay. And I think a lot of us experience sure. that, you know, that whether you're Catholic or agnostic or atheist or whatever you are, in some sense, it's chosen for yeah. you in the beginning <laughs> because you're a child, right. and then you figure things out later. But um, So I, I loved being a pastor. I was a part of um, 
the church growth movement in the late 90s, early early 90s uh, through to the late 90s, and then went to seminary, came back to Philadelphia after seminary, uh, was a pastor again for another five years, and then moved to Hollywood, okay. where the last eight years of my ministry, I was uh, the pastor of the Hollywood Seventh-day Adventist Church. Okay. And it was incredible. I mean, it was my uh, dream to be an urban pastor. Um, and I had always been in the suburbs, okay, right, uh, right. where a lot of the white churches yeah. are, are f- in the seventies and eighties, you know, fled, <laughs> fled the cities to the suburbs. And I was really drawn to this, to the city. So this was a chance for me to be an urban pastor. Mm. The church was also, um, I guess in a very, at a low point in its life cycle okay. and like in numbers or something? Yeah, in or, numbers okay. and morale, oh, okay. um, vision, like everything. Okay. They were just kind of struggling. So mm. that was really appealing to me. Um, okay. I wanted to be able to help them rethink their vision sure. for the future. So that was uh, a big part of, of my life. Uh, obviously, it was my whole life for, for eight <laughs> years. But as time went by, I just had more and more doubts about, um, primarily about the authenticity of scripture okay. the way that it's been taught to us you know as uh the divinely inspired word of god um you know correct in all of its teachings and so this is why we have theology okay. uh, and why it takes so long to study theology and hermeneutics because you have to have exactly the right key to unlock sure. each door right, right and if you don't have the right key then you come up with the wrong answers and um, so it, when I, I remember when um, LGBT people really came on my radar in Philadelphia, one of my prominent members had a son who was gay and hmm. he was the first one to really talk honestly to me about what his life was like. Hmm. He opened up and was able to share that yeah. with me. I really, it was a gift, you know, because I, I'm straight, so I don't know that world, what it's like, what it feels sure. like, you know, to grow up gay in a world that rejects you. Sure. So he really shaped my thinking, not with his ideology, but just by his story. Right. You know, and I, I had to say, well, either God accepts him or God doesn't accept him, hmm. one or the other, right? So I knew these verses were saying that it's wrong, but I also knew that the verses that said that God loved each person and, and sure. died for each person. And so I had a decision to make. And I think without realizing it explicitly, I decided that people were more important than beliefs hmm. and that. I needed to continue to adapt my understanding of the Bible, which is an ancient text, sure. to the contemporary reality of my life, and mm. especially when it came to ethics and people and, right. and inclusiveness. So when I came to Hollywood, of course, the number of uh, LGBT people in my church just increased, um, partly okay. because of, of the city of Los Angeles, but partly because it became more acceptable to be sure. gay in the culture, yeah. uh, and more people were out. And people just came to church. I baptized one of the lesbian members of my mm, church. Nice. And this was um, a gra- very gradual evolution for me. And How came... were people at your church reacting, though, to you <clears throat> being so open to you know, the LGBT community? Honestly, yeah. most of the, it was really an effective don't ask, don't tell. Oh. <laughs> it, it really worked well for a while. And the people who knew that certain individuals, our worship leader was lesbian for a while. Like she's still like lesbian. She's, open? she's yeah. <laughs> oh, see, it's a miracle. She's still, no, she was only a, our worship leader for a, a couple of years, 
And she was open. She was open enough. Like, she was open to her friends. She wasn't hiding anything, but we also weren't, like, blasting it from the pulpit. Putting it on the screen. On the screen, (laughs) right, exactly. So people who knew, knew, and people who didn't know, didn't know. And and then uh, she eventually moved along with her life, and we're still in touch, and... Cool. Religion's not a part of her life anymore either. <laughs> surprise, but um, so people who I think there's also I think in churches often some willing ignorance. Like they just don't want to know. <laughs> right, right, like right. just don't tell me that stuff. I don't really want to know. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but I wasn't. Un- I was uncomfortable with "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" being our policy for a long time. Sure. But I really deferred to the LGBT community in the church to tell me when it was time. Because I didn't want to make the church an unsafe place for them by bringing it up. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because it's a double-edged sword. If you let it go, don't ask, don't tell, people can kind of fly under the radar, but they also don't feel fully acknowledged. Mm. If you bring it up as an issue to be discussed, it could easily go the other way. Right. And the church could clamp down on all yeah, those things yeah. and they can be out. So it could be equally painful that way. So we weighed our options and I just basically told the dozen or so LGBT people in the church that when they were ready to do a big discussion about this in the church and and try to push for full inclusion publicly mm. that we would we would do it and i was just getting ready to do that we we resisted prop 8 the seventh day adventist church right. supported prop 8 in california uh, to, what year was this by the that way? was 2008 2008 okay the first obama election all right it was the same year that prop 8 in california was on the ballot which passed initially and right. forbade same-sex couples from getting married and we started a few of my friends and I started a thing called Adventist Against Prop 8 okay. where we you know stood up against our own denomination who was endorsing uh. Prop 8 and I thought I would get fired back, <laughs> back at that point but there there were these I say these things to say little cracks started to open in my relationship with the denomination okay. the Seventh-day Adventist Church my congregation was great hmm. but the denomination who actually hired me and pays my sure. salary and all of that was increasingly uncomfortable with me as the pastor of the church. I also wasn't going along with their um, ideas about end time events and the soon Mm. coming of Jesus and the fact that that they're teaching that the Seventh-day Adventist church is the remnant church, meaning the Adventist church is special more than any other church. and, And I just couldn't see it. I was like, yeah, the, you know, the church is special the way my mom thinks I'm special, you know, but let's be honest, I'm no more special than you, you're no more special well, than no, my mom said, no, I, I know, exactly, and that's really what it comes right, down right. to, you know, like, church is like, well, we're the special church, exactly, and then the other church is like, no, 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 we were told that we were the special <laughs> right, church, right. and I, so I rejected all of yeah. that, and they eventually, in, in 2013, um, some things came to a head, and I decided I wasn't going to bob and weave anymore. Like mm. I was just going to stand up and take the punches. Right. And I said, you know, I told my boss, it's truth day. Mm. Tell me, you know, ask me anything and I'll tell you the truth. Mm. And we went through a list of things like homosexuality, uh, creation and evolution, uh, um, church polity, evangelism. Is your boss at church or like the headquarters? The, the headquarters. Oh, yeah, same. yeah. Okay. I mean, I was the boss at church. Oh, like right, I, right, I had right, a board right. that I was accountable to, but I was the head pastor. But it was, yeah, it was my boss at the denominational office. Mm. And at the end of that, I mean, it was a peaceful conversation. I mean, we disagreed about almost everything, but it was not like shouting or anything like that. And he basically said he was, you know, really grieved by everything. Um, but 
that he didn't see how I could continue to be a pastor sure. anymore. And I was like, yeah, maybe you're right. I guess I've outgrown it, you <laughs> yeah. know. He's like, you're going to hell. Yeah. <laughs> he walks out, I'm happy for you. He walks away, you're going to hell. <laughs> Luckily, Adventists don't believe in hell. I know, I know. <laughs> annihilationism. Or annihilationism, right? yeah, oh, which okay. is just as bad. Yeah, exactly. You get okay. burned up in the world. At least you <laughs> don't burn forever. Like, exactly. That's at least a that, little step worse. in the right direction. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so then I, so I stepped down in March of 2013. And from March until the end of the year, I was really in this searching mode. I went to some evangelical churches here with some friends, just a church shop a little bit. Uh, I went to my friend's Episcopal church here in Pasadena. Okay. And it was also awesome in some ways and really troubling in other ways. And Like in what ways? Troubling. Or both. Well, like, what I, did you like about some of them that were different from your church? And I mean, the, even the uh, the Episcopal Church here, All Saints, uh, was is great because of its history of social justice okay. activism. Right, I mean, right. they, I mean, their history goes back to. I mean, their emeritus rector, who's still mm-hmm. alive, marched with uh, Desmond Tutu in South oh, really? Africa to resist apartheid. That's you dope. know, <laughs> yeah, and they they were you know they they were fighting against nuclear proliferation in the seventies and. Um, gender include gender equality during right. the, the ERA mm-hmm. fights, and I mean they've been doing this forever, you know. Sure. So for evangelicals to come yeah. along and be justice Christians, exactly, they're right. like, oh yeah, we've been doing that since <laughs> like forever. Right. So um, they're great, but the part that's, I mean, they're still very specifically Episcopal, okay, very denominationally yeah. specific, lots of high liturgy, which I kind of love in the way okay. that I love an art museum, okay. But it was hard to connect to it you know, on a deep personal level. It's also very Anglophone, you know, it's mm. very white, Okay. you know, uh-huh. congregation, as many, you know, proper liberal congregations right. are. Um, so I, I even went to a Catholic church thinking, well, you know, the Catholic churches, you know, that I knew had like seven masses on a Saturday night to Sunday night and six of the seven are in Spanish, right? <laughs> you know, because there's so many, um, you know, immigrants there. And I thought, well, that's authentic, you know. And I had been doing social justice work alongside these immigrants and alongside, you know, workers, you know, struggling for uh, fair pay and all this kind of stuff. So I knew some of those priests and I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe Catholic's not so bad, but it's so Catholic, you know. Right, there's right. so, you know, many... and all that Yeah, stuff. and just stuff I can't buy. Like, right. you know, I went from one misogynistic, homophobic religion. I'm, I can't join, join <laughs> another one, you know. Right, right. Just, it's too much. So as much as I appreciate the social justice tradition of the Catholic right. Church, the thread of, of social justice that runs through, I couldn't feel comfortable joining. So by the end of the year, I felt like I really didn't have a home anymore. Maybe I thought, well, maybe I'm one of these spiritual but not religious people, okay. which when I was a pastor, I just couldn't stand that. Right, because right. to me, all it meant was that you were too lazy to get up yeah, for church on much, Sunday yeah, morning, yeah. you know? So I was like, and it was gross to me. Like, if anything, I always, I always identified like, religious but not spiritual right right. i wouldn't be more comfortable being religious but not spiritual but everybody was spiritual but not religious i could never identify with that so i thought well i'm not spiritual either so what am i (laughs) and i got to the end of the year and i had done some of this like atheism for lent stuff that pete and i had talked about for year pete rollins and i had talked about and so i had been doing that for three or four years and every time i did atheism around holy saturday Mm. the day before easter I i thought this is compelling. Hmm. You know, it makes more sense than Easter. Yeah. Because I always found like Good Friday was easy to preach. Holy Saturday, that was easy to preach because I know about loss. I know about grief. I know about disappointment. We'll come Easter Sunday and I I mean, I have no point of reference for this. Hmm. Well, you know, resurrection. I mean, a few times, right? We, We experience like winter turning into spring. You know, we, we experience new birth, 
you know, the whole cycle of life and all of that. There are some, you know, analogies to resurrection, but I have much more experience with the other stuff. <laughs> so when it came to, you know, exploring atheism, I gave a couple sermons called God is Dead, where I talked about the death of Jesus being sort of the end of the game for the disciples. Where was this at? At my church in Hollywood. But you weren't the... I was the You pastor. were still the pastor still? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, so you were wandering around while you were pastoring? Like I still was. Out. I was, I was oh, okay. reading. I mean, I've always been a student of philosophy and theology, okay. and I've been reading, you know, post post-colonial, um, post-structuralist okay. kind of thinking, you know, death of God theologians. Okay. So I was aware, but okay. it was, it's, you know, to me, and especially from where I sit now, it's very boutique kind of thing. <laughs> right, Do you right. know what I'm saying? Um, like death of God theology, radical, radical theology. theology it's very boutique. Like if that's yeah. your thing, like it's yeah. like studying Shakespearean um, Elizabethan English, right. like being an expert in that. Like, right. sure, like if that's your thing, <laughs> knock yourself out. But it doesn't really relate to yeah. anything here, right, you right. know. So, and I can dig that as much as anybody. I kind of sure. love it. But so it came when it came to the end of 2013, I thought, you know, the only thing I really haven't honestly, seriously considered, just in the back of my mind, mm. but not really in the front, is maybe there's no God. Mm. This would be the explanation for... Uh, so many things like, you know, prayer seeming to be, you know, pointless in terms okay. of like petitionary prayer, intercessory sure. prayer. Um, the sense that I get that the church is following the culture rather than leading the culture. Sure. So it's, it's so interesting, for example, that the church finally gets the interpretation about homosexuality right as the culture <laughs> right, is dealing right. with that issue. Exactly. And suddenly we yeah. figure out, oh, what the text really means yeah. is, you know, it's so okay. So it evolves as culture changes our interpretation. Yeah, right and we're now. trailing five years, yeah. ten years behind the culture rather than saying we've known since the beginning that yeah. gays were acceptable to God and the culture catches up. Right. But no, it's like what it seems like is that the Bible is static and we teach that. God never changes. Yeah. And then... The culture changes, and we want those people to be a part of our communities, and so we find some theological, hermeneutical way yeah. to kind of wrestle it around in our minds so that what we really meant was that God actually loves homosexuals, right, not right. that he hates them, even when the text looks like it's saying exactly <laughs> the opposite. So it's just all this backbending gymnastic stuff. And I, even before I resigned as a pastor, I remember saying to, you know, not publicly from a sermon, but in, in many cases, one-on-one in, in talks I gave outside of church, that I just disagreed with Paul sure. about homosexuality. But as an evangelical, you're not allowed to disagree with Paul. Yeah. You know, Paul is the authority along with everybody else, yeah. and you get to just follow. Right, right. So hmm. uh, those were the kind, that was kind of the evolution. And so in, in the beginning of 2014, I was actually around Christmas time having... Uh, lunch with a friend and I said to him that I was thinking of just well I had a book in my hand called religion without God it's it's just there okay. um, and he's like what's this about and I was like well it's kind of what I'm thinking these days maybe I'll and off the just off the cuff I said maybe I'll take 2014 and be an atheist hmm. you know like AJ Jacobs <laughs> was like uh, my year of living biblically I'll mm. just do a year of living unbiblically you right, know right. Or like living without God he's like you should really do that <laughs> and I was like yeah maybe that is it you know I maybe I will <laughs> so I, I just bought this URL yearwithoutgod.com mm. and started blogging and it and got it picked up right away exploded yeah, yeah. Un- I had no idea that's crazy dude so I mean like when, when you think about it, I'm sure you get the criticisms of like alright you're, you're Christian for so many years now all of a sudden you make a switch to experiment you know, and I'm sure you had some criticisms from people saying, is it fake? Is, is, is you know, how, how do you just switch over? 
You know what I'm saying? So, but I, I know what you mean because I, I finally read your blog of what that means to have a year without God. But typically, it's like beliefs don't usually just change overnight, right? We could just right. switch it off and on. But so, what did you mean by a year without God? What does that look like? Right. So for me, I, I think it. You can't. I agree. You can't just switch things on and off. And it certainly wasn't like, well, I was a you know, really strong Christian one day and the next day I'm going to pretend to be an atheist. <laughs> My belief system had eroded yeah. to the point where I was like, am I an atheist? Okay. You know, so I, but I wanted to be a Christian. Okay. And I wanted the story to be true. If I could will it to be true, I would. But I was not satisfied anymore with hoping that it was true. Sure. I really wanted to know, like, what's the probability that this all exists. Even if it was like 50-50, like I'd be like, okay, 50-50, like, you know, I have as ch- a good a chance of being right about it as the, the atheist has, you right. know, so, but I just didn't, I never really seriously considered it because I was given that. Sure. You know, I, around the, I, you know, I've said in, in some talks I've given, like, you know, around the dinner table as a child growing up, we would talk about everything from evolution and dinosaurs to Jesus and the incarnation and tr- Trinity. What does Trinity mean? One thing we would never talk about, never came up, not because we really tried for it not to, it just never did, was does God exist? It was just the assumption. Yeah, just it's a given. A given. We never explored that question. And so, and of course, as growing up, I went to seminary and I've been around for a while. So, of course, I'm privy to Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins. And I read their books when they first came out in 2005, 2006. And... I understood many of their critiques. In fact, I agreed sure. at that time even with many of their critiques. I just was speaking to Richard Dawkins not too long ago, and I told mm. him I quoted from his book in one of my sermons mm. because we, his critique of religion and my critique of religion the is the same yeah. even back then. Right. I just thought I could create a different kind of religion that wasn't the kind that Richard exactly. Dawkins was criticizing. Right, right. So it was, I, you know, to answer your question, you don't... I probably worded that in the wrong way, and I got a lot of criticism for it. And yeah. I didn't, I didn't shy away from the criticism. Yeah. You know, yeah. people said you can't just pretend to be, you can't just try on atheism. And the whole premise of Year Without God was I want to learn about atheism. Right. So if, when people said that to me, I said, okay, what do you mean? Like maybe you're right. I can't just try it on. So wh- what is it that you mean by that? What do I mean by that? It helped me refine my thinking. And what I what I've came to c- the conclusion was that I wanted there to be a God. I did believe that there was a God in the beginning of the year, but I had strong doubts about the existence of God. In fact, I probably had the sneaking suspicion Mm. that there was no God, Mm. but I really wanted there to be. So I was going to take this year and really study, read, visit people, talk to people who are atheists, go to atheist gatherings. And so funny, in the beginning of the year, I said, if there are atheist gatherings, I'll go to some. Well, boy, did I find out there are (laughs) plenty of atheist gatherings, you know? So I went to a bunch of those. I got some of those really hardcore, uh, you know, expressions of atheism. I was like, whoa, that's like... Fundamentalist atheists. Yeah, kind of intense, really intense atheists. And then some that were like, wrote to me and said, you know, I'm an atheist and I really appreciate what you're doing. Even if you go back to being a Christian at the end of the year, that's fine. Mm. Because what really matters to me, this person is saying, is that you looked into your faith. You really examined it closely. And if you examine it closely and come out a believer at the end, you know, we can live with that. That what's really troubling is how many people just never really explore deeper than what they were taught as a child. 
And all of their debate is like what, you know, you, you mentioned before we started recording that, you know, about different versions of the atonement. Right. You know, is it penal substitutionary atonement or is it, you know, Anselm's, you know, moral influence theory? Mm. That's the level of the debate. Yeah, Up here, yeah, kind yeah. of talking about little the discrepancies in theology yeah. when really we've never pressed down deeper into right. does any of it really matter right, at all? Right. Do, are we sinners? Do we need salvation? Yeah. Who, what kind of God would create us in such a way that we would, would he would allow us to to fall into this sin, experience all this suffering, so that he could come in at the end and be the hero and save us. Right, right. You know, it's just exactly. It's no, just I, a that, that's up. a good point. I mean, like in in my previous talks that I would give, I'd always talk about how I noticed throughout the years my my theology would constantly change too. I'd quote unquote be progressive and right. stuff, and I started noticing like, okay, so back then I was more of like believe or burn. I wouldn't say it as directly like that, but I believe that stuff, and then over time. I became more inclusive. So I started creating, I started noticing the theologians I was following. They were creating like a, like a technology, like a mechanics to make the Bible include everybody. Like, like we accept gay people or whatever. But it's like, that's common sense to me now. You know, like, oh yeah, we're all in, we're, you know, everyone can love. Because back then I actually thought non-Christians can't genuinely love. I actually believed that <laughs> back then, you know, because yeah. the, the Holy you, Spirit wasn't in there. You kind of yeah. have to believe that yeah. because if God is the one who teaches you to love, then if people don't have God, exactly. like, why would you need God? Unless you're a Calvinist, right? You have to be born again first. God, oh, that's you, a whole other thing. That, that's the thing. So I started noticing like a lot of these unnecessary mechanics and technology. This is how you're able to love because, you know, you have Christ now and and I would have conversations with people about, look at this lady, you know, she's not a Christian, but she loves her child. It looks like she loves her child, you know? And so I think those were some of the things I started to notice that the Christianity, the virgins of Christianity that I was following, even though they were more progressive, I felt like maybe these are kind of unnecessary, you know, the, the mechanics of it all, of trying to make this, okay, you thought the Bible said this against gay people, and now we have a version where God doesn't, you know, hate gay people and stuff like that. Well, if you didn't read a Bible, would it really be an issue? You know, but it's like you usually read the Bible and that's what kind of creates these us versus them mentalities. We're in, you're out, we're saved, you're not. Um, you know, gays can't really be Christians and stuff like that. And so I, I know what you're talking about, you know, but you were even mentioning in your blog that other than like exploring atheism more, you'd be like not praying, right? I guess in a, the Christian version of praying. So, I mean, what would that look like though? Or how did that play out? Like, so you had a rough year from what I got from your other interviews. And then you had, yeah, obviously there was a lot of setbacks that were going on. And, but if you're not praying, what, what would actually go on in your mind? Would you silently pray? <laughs> you know, say just to be honest, right? right. Were, there, were there times where you're like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, sort of. I mean, for me, I, I, when I said those things, I was coming from a version of Christianity that I had adopted, which was that behaving and belonging was more important than believing. Okay. You know, so that we were encouraging people to not really worry too much about their beliefs. Okay. What we were interested in when people would join our church is, this is how Christians behave in the world. We love sure. one another. We forgive, we forgive our enemies. This is kind of like Christian behavior. And then um, belonging to the community was important. Right. And over time, you might also believe the things that we believe, but that's sort of tertiary. Sure. And um, so for me, Christianity was very performative. Right. And so to 
take off Christianity was right. also performative. Right. I was not going to go to church. I was not going to pray. Right. And I would, I, cause I, part of the experiment was to see like, is my life going to be different? Like if mm. I stop praying, am I going to be depressed now? Mm. Are things just going to start falling apart in my life all around me? Um, cause things had already been falling apart yeah. around me and I was praying, right. you know, so does it make a difference? Right. Cause my opening question in the first blog was what difference does God make? Right, right. Because to me, a God who makes no difference is, no, is functionally equivalent to atheism. Right. right. So like if there, if there, <laughs> it's this. not good. I'm going to turn it off. Go ahead. <laughs> Keep going. So if there is a, so if there is a God, let's say there is a God, but it's the functionally the equivalent of doing nothing in the world, mm-hmm. like that's essentially atheism, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. what difference does it make? So that I was saying, okay, I'm not going to pray. So what I, well, I did do some things like I, I joined the Los Angeles County Museum of Art okay. and I would go there once a week and uh, the food trucks are out there on Saturday. <laughs> right. If you go to the museum on Saturday and go eat at the food trucks, that's like a religious experience. <laughs> you know what I mean? The food and the art and the nature right. and the just kind of the beautiful weather. So I was, right, right. it was, that was my church. That, I used that's to say. a good religion. <laughs> very good religion. History and art yeah. and architecture beauty, and beauty and food. I mean, right. what else do you need? It's hedonism in a way. <laughs> right, right. You know, people kind of take hedonism sure. and make they it make into something it bad. bad yeah. yeah. So, um... Anyway, I... So you uh, didn't basically do like the, the traditional, let me pray before I eat. No, no, no. Or anything like that. I didn't. Okay. But here's what I have discovered about prayer is that I most I feel most inclined to pray when someone that I really love is going through a hard time. Sure. And it doesn't have to be like life-threatening or anything. Like yeah. if my daughter is really stressed out about something at school and there's nothing I can do to help her. Right. She just has to finish that report. Or she's going to have a hard conversation with her teacher. There's no way around it. She has yeah. to go to school and have that. And I, in the past, I would say, God, just go with her and give her peace yeah. and be with her in that, in that challenge that she's facing. Yeah. And that kind of gave me the sense that, okay, I can't be there, but God will be with her, mm-hmm. right? So I still have that feeling like I want to send God with <laughs> my friend right. or my loved one or whatever. So I decided at one point during the year that I just wasn't going to resist that. Sure. impulse anymore i was just gonna go with it because it's natural it's, it's conditioning for so many years it's just natural for a lot of us people who grew up in the church to just think all right god where are you I right need you, you know. and sometimes people say things like i'm gonna send you good thoughts which right, right. you know i don't know are good vibes or good vibes like right. and i think that doesn't really mean anything right. in the in the actual world but it, it does communicate something like if you're going through a hard time and i say to you i'll be thinking of you today yeah. And I call you maybe at three in the afternoon. I'm like, you've been on my mind all day. I've been thinking yeah. of you. That means something like to you, someone right? someone cares. Yeah, it kind of lifts your burden a little bit. Someone cares. Like someone is actually going mentally through this with you. Right. You know? And, and so I think prayer in the secular sense, I don't know that I would call it prayer, but you could, sure. is that sense of like, I'm with you in my thoughts. Sure, sure. You know, I'm, I'm connected with you. In my emotions, right. I'm feel, I'm empathizing. Empathizing with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so prayer maybe is just verbalizing that empathy, yeah. like saying, yeah. "I'm going through this with you. I yeah. feel, for, I feel for you." Right, right. And if there was, if there's anything I can do, if I think of anything, I'll do it. Sure. You know, I'll be there. You know, you know, you're going to court. Yeah. I'll come just sit with you. Yeah. In court, I know there's nothing I can do to affect the outcome. Right, right. So that's, I think, that is the good side, right, right of prayer which is the empathy that it invokes sure. within us. The bad side of, of prayer, which I'm happy to discard, is the part where I feel like if I pray about it, I'm off the hook and I don't have yeah. to do anything about it. Right. I think what the impulse should be is I care about this person and I feel enlisted 
mm. in their life. Like mm. I'm enlisted in this problem. It's no longer just your problem. It's my problem yeah. too. Yeah. And that, that feeling I think should be elevated by secularism, not diminished. Right. Which focuses a lot on basically you're, you're building relationships, you know, like for example, like I used to even do like homeless ministry back in the day right. in, uh, in LA. And I would always like, I would think about it now, like it's so easy because we would share the gospel and stuff. And then we're like, God loves you, God loves you, you know, and then we give them some food. Uh, but I would think about how right after that, we just walk away. Mm-hmm. And then I, I thought about like, you know, over time was like, it's so easy to say God loves you and then walk away. But when you say I love you, what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to show it somehow? And so that, you know, just that perspective kind of shifted for me that, you know, whatever your view of God is or anyone's view of God is, it's like we got to be more active and yeah. take some, you know, do something about it or else you're just like, all right, I'll pray for you. You know, okay, thanks. What is that going to do? You the know? ultimate cop Exactly. You know, so it kind of just, you know, leaves people hanging in there and stuff. So I get it. So like the word prayer just, just sounds like a religious term, <laughs> right? But I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just wanting to be there for someone in spirit, right. whatever that means, you know. So, but no, I like that, you know. But my question would be, so you had this year without God, though, and you, you were having a hard time with, okay, the, the this version of God seems like you believe that you saw the God's violin in the Old Testament or something. So that's a turnoff from what I heard in your podcast, you know. Right. And then um, our God, one interpretation is God doesn't like gay people. So why a year without God and why not just a year without a certain version of Christianity? And not why, why not become a liberal or go with uh, deism or something like that or pantheism? Right. Yeah, it's a great question that I, I get asked a fair a fair bit. Um, so I had become a liberal in one sense. You know, I, okay. I had evolved in my theology to the point that I was so liberal that the Adventist Church asked me to leave. Right. So okay. the denomination. So I had become pretty liberal, and I was very open to discarding whatever part was unacceptable. I could discard conservative religion and be a liberal or I could discard Christianity and be, you know, a Buddhist, you know, or, you know, there were multiple options, right, available to me. And I I sometimes have described it like, you know, peeling an onion, you know, so you Mm -hmm. take off the the outer layer, which is set for me with Seventh-day Adventism. And that was easy to take off, mm. you know, because it was already killing me. Mm. And I didn't believe it anymore anyway. So I take that off. And you feel liberated. You know, like, oh, I'm not an Adventist anymore. <laughs> I don't have to carry that, <laughs> that heavy burden, right? So then you're like, I guess, what does that make me now? I guess I'm just a Christian without okay. the label, right? So maybe I, I'm just non-denominational. So I okay. tried that out. Like I was telling you, sure. I went to different churches and nothing seemed to fit. So then I took that layer. I thought, well, maybe the problem is not the brand of Christianity, maybe the problem is deeper than that. Maybe the okay. problem is Christianity in general. Okay. So then I would look into that and I would thought, well, maybe I'm just spiritual. Like, mm. But then I didn't feel very spiritual. The problem was deeper still. Mm. So at this time, if you don't mean, you know, was it more of like, were you still not into inerrancy then at that time? Oh, no. Oh, you were, you reject that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. that, I mean, in fact, Seventh-day Adventists aren't much into inerrancy oh, in really? the beginning, okay. although you would never know it by listening yeah, to most, you know, pastors. But we... We had a combination kind of theory of inspiration, which was which is like um, God's word and human words. Okay, right. You right. know, so it was they can make mistakes and all. Right. That. One of the sayings in our in in Adventist church was God's 
the, the Bible writers were not God's pen. They were God's right. penmen. Okay. You know, so they were right. still writing it in their own culturally. Yeah, it's not like a dictation. Kind no, of no, no, no. Okay. So uh, there are some plenty of Adventists mm-hmm. that probably believe that dictation right. theory, but officially the Adventist church mm-hmm. doesn't believe in the dicta- that dictation theory. So I was adapting and, and moving my theology around like you were trying okay. to make it fit because it's sort of like a square hole and a round peg sure, and you're sure. trying to make it fit and you have these wonderful like gay Christians that are your friends and you're like, well, I, I can't see why God would just condemn them sure. like out of, out of hand without some, uh, that doesn't make any sense. So I've got to make that fit. You know, I got to make yeah. that round peg fit in the square hole. And you just keep doing that for a while and you're like, maybe this isn't meant to fit. <laughs> maybe this, the people are what matters and this yeah. other part doesn't really matter. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Um, so you started asking these questions and like wondering, okay, maybe, maybe, you should go deeper, and maybe a lot of it's just BS, to be honest. Christianity, at least, the different forms of Christianity. Um, but my question would also be, like, if you're rejecting God, I guess, or there's an absence, absence of God, what what would be that definition of God, right? Because, once again, there's so many different ways that we define it. Mm-hmm. You know, so what, what, or who, if you want to use that word, who is the God that you reject? Right, right so... Um, that's a really good question, and thank you. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. The uh, because the word God is so slippery, exactly. You know, and everybody that wants to stay theist, yeah. just re- all they have to do is redefine God to mean right, something right. else, and now they can be theist. <laughs> you know, it's very simple. So, um, so for me, again, it was these layers. Right. The first to go was the the interventionist God, the God right, who's right. involved in the world, who does stuff when you yeah. pray, who like intercedes. Or I, when you don't even pray. Or when you don't right. even pray, right. So God's involved. He's like pulling the levers of history, right. you know, making things happen. Yeah. And and I just couldn't make that square with, with reality because the minute God starts pulling the levers, you automatically then have all these other questions about why those levers and not those ones. You know, why would God help me find my keys, but he won't help these poor, starving people people all over the world? Like, what kind of God is that? You know, well, maybe God has another plan. Well, you know, Uh, after a while, that just falls apart. So it's the only way to rescue God's morality is to say he doesn't get involved at all. Right? So that's that was kind of the first thing to go. And then... So then maybe there's this God who is the start of it all, you know, the, yeah. the fir- you know, Aristotle's first cause, first cause sure. right? So, um, and, and of course, I mean, there's no way to falsify that, that right. idea, right? There's no proof that that's not true. Um, so, so maybe that's true. And, and that comes back for me to this idea of what difference does it make? Sure. So deism, you know, seems unlikely to me again because you have to question the morality of a god who would start a project like that let you go and leave it yeah right so either god just doesn't care about his human creation or he's busy doing something else And forgot about it. It's a big us. universe. So he's probably busy on another planet. <laughs> right? Like some of his favorite children, you know? <laughs> exactly. like, and any way you cut that, you're not going to go to church and worship that God. Right, right. Because that God is not worthy of worship. Maybe fear, sure. you know, would be fair, if, especially if, you know. So, so the first to go is the supernatural. I, I, so anyway, I guess the simple answer is, for me, the God that I would say doesn't exist is a supernatural being. Right who exists in the world, in the universe in some way, 
immaterially, but is involved once in a while right. in our lives in some unpredictable pattern <laughs> whenever, he feels, whenever like he feels like it. So, you know, Tillich tries to get around this by saying that God is not a being, you know? Right. So, so Tillich kind of introduced this idea of the ground, the, the, the ground atheistic Christianity yeah. in a way, you know, the ground of being like God is in a way like the context yeah. in which being can, can yeah. come to be. And, and again, this is a, uh, um, non-falsifiable claim um, you can't prove that it is or it isn't. Sure. Um, it's it makes some people happy to think that. I just don't think it's necessary. Sure. And so I kind of went with a kind of Occam's razor approach okay. for myself, where yeah. I said, "What's the simplest the explanation? One. You know, for this, what's the most straightforward? Why introduce a complexity like a god when?" So far, science and philosophy has been able to grapple with these questions in a way that's adequate to our our thriving as a human mm-hmm. species. And when you add to that the anthropological, sociological layer, which clearly shows that human beings have created gods and not sure. God right, creating right. humans, to mm-hmm. me, it's like the knockout punch. For me, the idea that Every human culture has invented some gods, and mm-hmm. as those cultures have faded away, so yeah. have their gods. Sure, sure. You know, so we don't have Thor anymore, yeah. and we don't have Zeus anymore. What? <laughs> you know this bumper sticker that you see sometimes that says, uh, Jesus is God, read the Bible? Okay. You see, have you uh, seen this? I, I don't it's know very blunt, you know, Jesus okay. is God, read the Bible. I'm not Bible. surprised. But you know, yeah. I, it's like, kind of like, you know, you jerk, you yeah, know. Yeah, so yeah. I remember I was still a pastor. I was driving uh, home from church one day from the office. And I had seen those other ones, but then I drove up behind this one car, and on this car was a bumper sticker that said, Zeus is God, read, read the Iliad. You know, and I was I just broke out laughing. <laughs> exactly, right. Because it was so obvious to yeah. me, like, Zeus is God, read the Iliad. Yeah. Like, the, the Iliad has as much claim as the Bible. <laughs> exactly, you know? right. You know, so maybe Zeus is God. Right, right. You know, and if you want to follow Pascal's wager, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to believe all of those gods, just to right, be sure. right. And how can you do, back to your original point, how do you just decide to believe something? Right. If I have a gun to your head and I said, you know, Joshua, you better believe in Zeus or I'm going to blow your brains out. Yeah. Like, you can't do it. Like, you could tell me that you did yeah, to save I'll your life. Yeah, I'll tell you that I believed it. <laughs> right, exactly. You'll tell me that you did. And and I think a lot of people want there to be a God. And so it's a kind of wish fulfillment, which I'm not sure. saying, I don't, I don't mean that sounds super arrogant. But I don't mean that because I did that for a long time no, too. It, it makes sense. I mean, it's like a like a coping mechanism. Sure. You know. So. Yeah, and I think there is a sense of a beauty in our world that's at such a heightened level, and I think the improbability of our existence. Uh, I think you know evolution is a hard sell for a lot of Christians because it seems yeah. so. It's not intuitive. Okay. When you see our complexity as human beings, you think, "How did we get here like this? That doesn't make any sense." But, it, you know, because it takes billions of years and yeah. uh, lots of special conditions and there's no guarantee that right. we would be here at all. Right. And so when you see the improbability of it all and how lucky we are to be here, mm. uh, to me, that mystery and beauty um, does evoke a kind of religious devotion to sure. something like sure. the God of the gaps, like the part that we don't understand well, let's put God there. Sure. And then we'll say, isn't that beautiful? And I would say, yes, I just don't want to put God there. Okay. I would just say, it's <clears throat> beauty is its own reward. Okay. I mean, would you find it still reasonable for someone to attribute everything to a source, like a, like a God, whether it's a personal or loving deity, but just like, um, 
like what difference would it make, right? If there's a God or not, we say, well, I'm just going to live my life the way I always do, whether or not God is a source or not. But if someone were to just like have a dialogue with you about logic and philosophy, would, would, would it make sense to you that there would be a God behind even evolution and all that? Like there could even be theistic evolution, right? You know, stuff like that. So, I mean, if someone were to say that, would that still be a reasonable thing to you, even though it doesn't matter to you? Not the God of the Bible. Okay, not the God yeah, of the Bible. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's reasonable within a certain, um, like, framework. Sure. I think to say it's, if you don't know, like me, not much about science. I don't know much about science. I didn't mm-hmm. grow up with science. Although I did, I did start out my college career in science, but mm-hmm. I quickly went to the humanities. Okay. Um, so if you don't know much about science... Like, like I don't know much about science, it's easy to say, whoa, this is just too amazing. Yeah. You know, whereas the sci- scientist would say, well, it is amazing, yes, <laughs> but I can explain to you <laughs> right. how it works, you know. It's like, Let me show you how it's not amazing. No, right. It's, it's exactly. so amazing. Yeah. Them, but. So it's like the eye, the human eye. And Richard, Richard <laughs> yeah. Dawkins always says, yeah, but the, 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 uh, the lens is installed upside down. Oh, right, you know, like uh, that, that's a big mistake. Yeah. The, now the brain has learned how to flip the image yeah, back right. upside right side up. But, yeah. you know, the designer kind of messed that yeah, up. You know? right, right. And when you say like, the, you know, the universe is fine-tuned for, for our existence, yeah. you know, my response to that would be to say, no, we evolved here because we're the thing that could evolve in this context. Mm. If, the, if, the, if the conditions of the universe were, were different, maybe we would have evolved differently. Like, right, you know, right. so it's not like... It's, it's, it's a fallacy to assume that things are like they are because they were designed that way mm-hmm. rather than saying we are how we are because that's the we're the people that could evolve under these circumstances, yeah. right? right? So I think that's, uh, that's not reasonable, I think, to right, say that right. the God of the Bible it does right. not seem reasonable to me at all. If you want to have a kind of Star Wars yeah. kind of force idea, I mean... I'm not going to argue much with sure, a person sure. about that. Like, I think I, I don't find that compelling to me, mm. but as long as it's not hurting someone else, sure. you're not telling them they can't teach physics and science in, or chemistry in cl- schools because right. it'll lead to evolution, or you're not excluding gay people from right. civic life. You're not right. using your religion to hurt other people. If you just feel like love is too amazing to just be love, there has right. to be something in it, you know, right, right. some kind of anthropomorphic thing. Yeah then, yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah. Why not? Oh, it's all good. I'm just, just yeah, asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. <laughs> no, it, it's funny, though, because it's true on how, like, you can look at something, and like, oh, the beauty of creation. How can you say there's no God? And then, and then you look at the suffering in the world, and you say, well, how do you explain that? You know, which is why it is hard to swallow, you know, the whole God of the Bible as a, as a loving God who's right. there for you, takes care of all your needs, and... Just that whole idea of people say, oh, God answered my prayer of the keys and, you know, but yet can't take care of starvation, you mm. know. And so, yeah, I get that. You know, and my next question would be, and you don't have to answer this, it's up to you. Um, since you've been through a lot, though, like how how has your family been affected by this? So how, how many kids do you have? I have two kids, two, two girls. Kids. Yeah, they're... Oh. High school? High school, oh. middle school and high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. So how have, has that affected them? You know, it's interesting. I... We don't, it's not something we talk about a lot. I mean, at that age, my kids are more interested in friends and... And Justin Bieber. And, uh, yeah. I hope not. <laughs> yeah. They've evolved past oh, Justin okay. Bieber. Thank God. Or thank whoever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they've, yeah, they've, but they're interested in, yeah, their hobbies, music okay. and hanging out with friends, you know, and boy, boys and... Okay. 
Um, but that initial decision that you made, I'm sure that yeah, caught it them did. by surprise. It did. It caught them a little bit by surprise. It was a little disconcerting because not only had I gone from being a Christian to really exploring atheism, but I had been their dad and their pastor. Yeah. You know, the, I'm the only pastor they've ever hmm. known. I mean, not, not the only one they've ever known, but I the only pastor mean. they've ever yeah. experienced. So that was hard for them. They didn't know what it meant. And they don't have, you know, at that age, they didn't have the theological and philosophical tools to kind of rationally say, okay, well, we understand why daddy's asking these questions. It was more like, oh my goodness, he got fired. Now he doesn't believe in God. And like, Uh. it's just a big, like, you know, avalanche. So, Hmm. so that was hard for them. But we, we had some frank talks and I, you know, I told them, you don't have to believe what I believe. In fact, Mm -hmm. I want you to, the only thing I really want for my kids is for them to be critical thinkers Mm -hmm. And for them to keep an open mind mm. and to study—that's awesome. That's that's a big deal, dude. Because I'm sure our generation, we didn't. We like I said, we, you said that we were born into this stuff, right? You know, so to have a dad tell their kids to do, I, I applaud you for that, man. That's that's cool. I just want them to finish college, and if they take their college seriously, yeah, they will learn philosophy and psychology and right. biology, and they'll come to their own conclusions. Right. And it was sort of like when I was a Christian, I wasn't so into evangelism. I really okay. wanted the message and more than the message, the community okay. to to be the message. Okay. And if people found our way of life compelling, that they might want to join us. Mm. And similarly, I feel like critical thinking um, is a powerful thing. Mm. And when you start asking questions and you're given the tools to ask questions and explore possible answers people come to their own yeah. rational conclusions right right you don't need necessarily to arm twist people into changing their mind right i, I was never a mind changer right. I, I don't although many people change their minds i change my mind you right, change right. your mind so mm-hmm. i love watching yeah, i believe in zeus you know i, I know i know i know i was i was yeah more into <laughs> athena myself you know she was very attractive and yeah, that affects you. That affects our judgment. But, you know, speaking of community, though, um, that does play a role, I notice, in, like, a lot of people's lives when it comes to belief. So, for example, I know people who they didn't become Christians because of an apologetics argument. You know, oh, the ontological argument convinced me. You know, right. it's usually been because of community. Like, right. They go to church and, oh, these people are so loving. What's so different about them? You know, so I'm wondering, like, when you went through this journey of atheism, you go to these uh, conferences, or I've been to a lot of conferences. You know, the, yeah. Do you think how much of a role do you think that played in your belief, in the sense of because you got a lot of support from atheists? You know. Yeah, I mean, I think um, to discount that community aspect is would be foolish. Yeah. Um, I I've appreciated the support that I've gotten. I really tried to. Um, but I would have, I would have also gotten support if I had come back to Christianity. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? There would have been an overwhelming, like, oh, he's back and oh, okay. he did this epi- nice epic journey. Know. You know, yeah. I think people, some people were expecting me to come back. So I think I knew that I would ha- ultimately I'd have a community on either side. Okay. Um, and I do think community is important yeah. for people. We are both rational and emotional right. beings right. and both are important. Um, some people prefer to emphasize rationality. Some sure. people end up emphasizing more emotions. But I think the two are um, intention and help us make good choices. Um, so 
I, I think that aspect of community is really, really important. And I think the secular community is learning a lot right now about forming secular community. Okay. Because just because like people... Like churches? Sort of like churches, yeah. yeah gathering churches and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's similar to... Um, in fact, I was just... You know, I just interviewed up for my podcast this morning uh, a woman who is a pastor in the United Church of Canada okay. in, in, in the Toronto area. And... She is uh, a post-theist, non-believer in, in all the gods that have been suggested. <laughs> right. And some of her congregation are theists, some are atheists, but it's a, basically a humanist community now. Mm. And she's been through quite a bit of um, stressful times, you know, navigating that transition in her church. Sure, but, sure. but yeah, I think we need these humanist communities <clears throat> to support people through this type of, what I think is an inevitable wave of people that are going to... Sure, move sure. out of traditional religion yeah do, do you ever miss the old notion of god like the loving father mm-hmm. you know i mean does that kick in every so often sure yeah i mean i think the um we used to sing this song um in church called he knows my name yeah that's a, you know, that's that's, a nice song it's a nice song right and especially if you had uh the lyrics say something like we special. have a we have a father yeah. He knows our name. And if you didn't have a good father or if you didn't have any father, yeah. it was it really connects at an emotional level. Like there's this person who, even though he doesn't always give me my cake and let me eat it too, sure. he's there yeah. watching, taking care of me. He won't let anything super bad happen to me. Um, and even though you know that's kind of not true because super bad things happen to all kinds of people, <laughs> you sort of just block that. It's funny. Right, how that, right. But, but that notion of God being a loving father... You know, I definitely, I don't think about it nearly as much anymore. Sure. Um, the song, it's funny, the secular song, Say Something, uh, really hit me when I first heard it last year. Um, you know the song I'm talking about, Say Something, I'm Giving Up On You. Oh, yeah, It's yeah. a, it's a, yeah, break, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, kind yeah. of a breakup song, yeah, know, you know. A, but I, It's I, so sad. It's so sad, <laughs> right? At least the way it sounds from what I remember. Oh, my gosh, it's so sad. <laughs> and I remember listening to this song and just weeping, uh, feeling like, yeah, that's my prayer. Like, I, I'm giving up. Oh, okay. Like, say something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do something. Like, let me know you're there. Otherwise, I'm out, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I do miss that. I also miss this kind of notion that the arc of the universe is bending towards justice, mm-hmm. you know, the eschatology, sure. you know, this idea like that the there's a lot of bad yeah. things happening now and that's to be expected yeah. in the, in the, you know, when you'd really look in at the, the narrow focus, yeah. you see all kinds of bad things. But if you can see the whole arc of history, you'll see that God is doing this great plan of redemption and that in the end, everything will be okay. Yeah. And that idea of it being okay in the end you know that carried a lot of weight for me sure. theologically. Yeah, yeah. And for I, a lot of people, especially when you're suffering through so much, right? Uh, you can you endure something. There's a good ending that right. you can't see, but it's going to happen for sure. Right. You know, it's not the end of the story. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's hard to lose that, and it takes a little getting used to to say this is the only life we have. Yeah. And there's no um, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Mm. It's just mm. a fantasy. Um, we don't want to die. Mm. And so we tell stories about how we don't yeah. have to die. Right. Are you open to like what happens after people die or do you believe we, that's it? I just think that's it. I Okay. I um I don't s- currently have any reason to think anything else. Okay. Um so and nobody's ever come back to tell us, you know. Yeah. I mean, some people, <laughs> some people claim that they have, but um 
they always see. What about JC? You know, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, well, that's another story. He's been AWOL for a while, <laughs> I know, so right? I don't know, like uh, if he's coming around. <laughs> but um, he says he's coming soon. But man, it's been a while. <laughs> whatever that means. Yeah, whatever right, that means. Right. So yeah, I I think that's pretty much it. And hmm. um, if there's a a non-physical state in which we live on, I don't think it's um. It, we'll find that out soon enough. Yeah, we'll find out. Yeah, right. and I don't think there's any reason to think that if there was a place like that, that it exists based on judgment. Sure. You know, like some like, people like going like rewards and rewards and punishment. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's either like either our consciousness survives our death or it doesn't. Sure. One or the other. Yeah. And if it does, then we'll find out when sure. we die. And if it doesn't, then it's probably what we already suspect, which is that our yeah. consciousness is what our brains do. Yeah. And when our brain dies. The consciousness goes away. Okay. This is what I think most neuroscience is teaching us today is that our mind, yeah. the abstract idea of our mind, is what the brain does somehow. Mm. And when the brain dies, then the mind goes away, our memories and our thoughts and our feelings mm. and all of that. People that think that they've gone to heaven and come back have experienced something in their brain as sure. they were nearing death. But they sure. didn't really die because if they did, their brain would be shut off. Mm. You know, there would be something, nothing happening there. So um, I just think that the most reasonable thing, I think, at this point in my understanding is that it's just, you get this one life. Yeah. And when the lights go out, yeah, you say thank you. It's all good. To yourself. To, your, to, to, to whatever. To, to, <laughs> to, to nature. Oh, for giving you this remarkable opportunity to be alive. Right, it's, right. It's the most amazing thing. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, here we are. What are the chances? Yeah. It's a good time. I mean... Like for myself too, um, this is what I'm curious about because like for me, I, I invested so much of my life in ministry. Mm. And so I, I went to seminary for what, several years. Mm-hmm. I paid tens of thousands of dollars for school. Mm. Became a, And my, my goal at the time was to travel and be an apologist, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my listeners already know my story of how that's totally not the picture. So I stopped pastoring. So, so I mean, did you ever feel like it was all a waste? Hmm. That's a really good question. I, th- <sighs> you know, because there's that pain of like you invested so much time and right. you're like, dude, is this all bullshit? You know, just like, I was I living a lie this whole time? And <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I think it has to be yes and no. I mean, oh, there's yeah. a sense in which it was a waste in the sense that all the things that I told people were there aren't there. Okay. In my understanding. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I had someone on my Facebook recently write, you know. I posted a poem by by David White, and she said, this is so beautiful. You're the one that helped me find my way back to God. I hadn't been mm. in church for three years because of some really bad things that happened, and I didn't know where God was, and it was by being in your church that I really reconnected with God. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> and I said, well... If she only knew. <laughs> no, she does know. That's, the, know. Weird, that's the weird thing. So I, I, I think she does. I don't know how she couldn't, but I wrote back, and I said, you know... I appreciate you saying that. It means a lot to me because what I hear you saying is I helped you get through a difficult time in your life and you have a a confidence in God, which I would say is a confidence in yourself. Like Mm -hmm. you, you have a better sense of your own abilities and you're, you feel better about yourself and you're able to accomplish things in the world that you maybe felt you couldn't do before. And, um, Mm -hmm. so sometimes I feel bad about, pointing people towards something that was a mirage Hmm. you know like there's water 
we won't dr- we won't yeah. die of thirst and we get there and it's like oh there's no water <laughs> you know so you're like but i thought there was you know like i was being genuine yeah. and i think if i if i what i could not live with is if i knew it was bullshit yeah, yeah, yeah. and i was telling people it wasn't exactly that's where i feel like you know john oliver just did this thing about evangelists did you see that? I saw that so you know when i see some of those guys and i realize those sad. are the extreme ones it's sad but they have to know they're lying they yeah. have to know yeah. because nobody's getting better nobody's yeah. Their debts that they promise are going to be erased are not erased, yeah. you know? All that's yeah. happening is those evangelists are getting rich and everybody else is getting poor. Yeah. And they have to know either that or they're seriously mentally ill right. or they're defrauding said, yeah. people, intentionally defrauding people. To me, that is abhorrent. So, uh, I could never live with that. But what what makes it okay for me is that I was doing the best I could do. Exactly. And I think in doing that, People felt loved. People felt included. People felt welcomed. We welcomed gay people in our church when the rest of the Adventist church wasn't doing that. And that meant something to them. Some of them are still at, my, at that church today. Um, a transgendered woman who had been excluded from the church for so many years found her way back to church yeah. through our ministry. And she's still a leader in that church today. And mm-hmm. we disagree about the existence of God, but sure. but she feels welcomed there and her beliefs are affirmed and I think she's a healthier person. Nice. You know, nice. as a result of that. So it's not all wasted. And I you know, my mm-hmm. goal as a pastor too was always to say, let me try to meet you where you are yeah. and help you take the next step right. in your journey, right. wherever that is. You're and it takes it takes a while for you to say, like, because I would have conservative people in my church sure. that were way more conservative than me. And they would say, but what about this and what about that? And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, that's bullshit. It doesn't matter. Uh, don't worry about right, that. Right. But, but I could say don't worry about that, but it matters yeah, to them. Right. You know? That's where they're at. So yeah. how do I meet them where they're at and help them take one step towards like God's grace? Sure. Like to say God's not a, de- a judgmental God's path. not mad at you. God's not right. mad at you. Yeah, all of that. So that was, that was my, my goal. And it's, it's still my goal today. I mean, the thing I'm doing now, Life After God is really about the same thing, taking people where they are, finding them where they are, being a listening ear, mm. and just helping them in whatever way they need. And maybe they don't need my help, which is fine. Mm. But if they do, helping them have the tools to think critically about whatever questions they yeah. have. To me, if you, if you identify your question, whatever it is, your questions, and ask them sincerely, you won't go wrong. Sure. You know, you, you may end up coming to very different conclusions than other people, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. We don't all yeah. have to agree about everything. Right. Just like to each his own as long as you don't hurt other people. Um, That's liberty. And don't worry, we're almost done. But I have this question that sure. I'm, I'm sure you've been asked before. I'm a little long-winded, sorry. Oh, it's all good, man. What would it take, right, for you to believe that there's any kind of God? And if, and, if there is, and if you're asking for evidence, what would be considered legitimate evidence? That is, you know, that's always a really hard question. Um, I mean, I think the first thing that comes to most people's minds is, you know, if God would show up right here and like, yeah. tell me himself that, yeah. um, but it, that still doesn't solve the problems yeah. of suffering and um, salvation and violence in the Bible. Like, you know, I mean, God could show up and say, everybody's got it wrong. Sort of like the shack, right? You know, you're, yeah, did you read the shack? Yeah, so, shack. you know, this guy goes... God's on, a woman? <laughs> yeah, God's a woman, and he's not. she's not responsible for any of this, you know, mess. People created all of that. I mean, I suppose that there... Yeah, I don't know what it would be. Like, It's all good, you know, yeah. yeah I'm I, not I demanding an answer. No, I know. It's a, it's a, it's a really ask. interesting question. I think if... Um, 
you know, the easy answer is to say evidence, but then what, ev- yeah, what, what was, evidence? What's yeah. considered evidence? Yeah, yeah, I think it would, um, there would have to be evidence, but there would also have to be explanations yeah. for uh, why the world is the way it is. Um, like, I think if God just showed, if, if I had an apparition of, of God, like in my house, and God said, Yep, I'm real. I'm here standing in front of you. I created everything just like the Bible says. I would say, I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. I don't believe you because right. of all the, all the reasons. Sure, sure. You know, like you're you're going to be skeptical of you're that. You're going to have to do better than that. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. I'm having a hallucination or something because it still doesn't solve the problem. If you are standing here in my living room telling me you're God and you created this yeah. like this, then you're an asshole. Right, right. And like maybe you exist. I mean, this is the one thing Christians don't take into consideration. Like, and I never did. Maybe there's a God and God's a tyrant. Maybe right. God's evil. Right. I mean, think about that knows, possibility. Right? That's terrifying. Yeah, you know, is. that God did create all of this. And, or, or it's sort of the, um, you saw the movie Prometheus? Oh, I don't, I'm not sure if I did. It's sort maybe of the prequel to the Alien series. Okay. It, it got bad reviews for lots yeah. of reasons, but the concept is interesting in which I did watch that, but yeah, yeah. So, so, or the idea that, like, to me, it's sort of the seventh grade science fair concept, you know. So, God is a seventh grader um, in another universe, and he's saying, "Let me see if I can create human, you know, peep little creatures, right. you know." And so, God has like a little ant farm, you know, and he has people in there, and right. blah, blah blah, and then he's like, "Eh," and he goes on to something else, right. you know, sort of the totally indifferent God, exactly, you know, like that. If there was evidence for that, then I would say, okay. That makes sense. Okay. There's a cosmic right. creator out there, and we'll, you know, maybe SETI, you know, the search for extraterrestrial life, yeah. you know, intelligence. We'll find this intelligence out there that eons and eons ago created, started a little science experiment here on Earth, and, right. and we're the result. But they don't even know. Yeah. Like they walked away from it, you know, millennia ago, mm-hmm. and. And they don't even know we're here, so that's right. reasonable to me. Okay. You know, like I, it seems implausible, <laughs> but but that's a possibility, yeah, right? Like possibility. Michael Shermer says, you know, that the uh, he was he called Shermer's Shermer's last law, which is that if we encountered an extraterrestrial intelligence, it would be so much more advanced than us that it would seem godlike hmm. to us. I mean, right, what right. is God except just a creature that's more powerful yeah, than we are? Like a supreme version of us. A something. supreme version yeah. of us, which is why it's probably a projection, sure, you know, sure. of our imagination or yeah. our wishes or whatever. So it would be very difficult to arrive at the loving God. Yeah, no, no, I feel you with that. For sure, for sure. Well, what's next for you? I'm doing a, a project called Life After God, nice. which is... Um, We'll be launching it, I hope, on September 1st. This uh, is a movie? No, actually, there's a movie. I can, oh. Well, let me tell you about that first. So there's a documentary that was being made, it's, is being made, about my uh, year without God. Nice. So that's in post-production right now, um, and hopefully by the first of the year. Okay. That'll be out, and okay. we'll, you know, screen it around wherever. Nice. Um, so the, the directors and the producers are all working on that, and I haven't really seen it much about that lately. I mean, I know they're working on it, but I'm, I'm not involved. I'm sort of the subject. I'm not, right, right. I'm not the filmmaker. So, um, so that's happening. Um, and I'm, but I'm, but life after God is sort of the new thing I'm working on, which is walking with people through this transition out of faith okay. into the unknown for okay. them, you know, secular world and humanism. 
and like via the blog or or just so they'll be I'll have a blog and then there's going to be coaching uh, on the phone like in individuals and in groups like just walking with groups of people through like the critical thinking process yeah um, you know emotional issues in terms of family and friends and community um, and and helping to uh, seed and foster new secular communities uh, around this kind of support for people that are leaving their faith. And the podcast that I'm starting is nice. r- attached to that whole thing. So It's going to be called Life, Life after, after God? Life After oh, okay. God, yeah. When are you going to be releasing that one? Uh, September 1st. Okay. So just in a few few days. Oh, nice. Yeah. So okay. the website's almost ready. I, there's just a few things that have to be you know, worked out, but okay. um, that should start. So know. that's where people could mainly reach you? Is it the, Do they still do the Year Without God for now? Yeah, they can reach me at yearwithoutgod.com. Okay. That's the blog that okay. I've been using, and I'll have that blog still. And then uh, lifeaftergod.org That'll switch over is the or new one. Or you'll have both. Yeah, I'll have both. In September. Yeah, I'll have both. Okay. And then on Twitter, I'm Year Without God. Yeah, so you're everywhere. Facebook. Ryan J. Bell. Mm-hmm. You have a YouTube channel? I do, yeah. Um, Just your name or... Yeah, if you search Year Without God YouTube, you'll probably find it. I need to clean up the URL on that a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's all good. They'll figure it out. But yeah, the podcast will be on lifeaftergod.org. Awesome. So you guys check that out, lifeaftergod.org and yearwithoutgod.com. Yep. You guys, this is Ryan Bell and Josh Tongle. And so, Ryan, it's been a pleasure, bro. Man, that was such an awesome interview. Now, whether or not you agree with Ryan Bell's conclusions, you can't deny that the guy's been through a lot and that he's given this a lot of thought, that's for sure. And as you can tell from the interview, he's such a fun and chill guy, which is what I really like. And it sort of destroys the whole notion that all atheists are angry and arrogant. I mean, no doubt some of them are, but so are many religious people. You see, just as there are fundamentalist Christians, there are also fundamentalist atheists too. So I just look at people as just that, people. That's it. it. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. People are people and we all have beliefs where some beliefs can be helpful and some can be hurtful. Plain and simple. Now, Ryan doesn't have a book yet, but I do know that he's in the process of writing one. So I'm definitely looking forward to that for sure. And once it's done, I'll be promoting it in the future. But in the meantime, since this interview is about atheism, I want to encourage you guys to get the late Christopher Hitchens book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. Now, since my listeners are kind of a mixed group with believers and unbelievers and agnostics, uh, some of the believers might be wondering, you know, Josh, why are you encouraging us to read books on atheism? My response is, why not? You know, uh, let me just say that if you claim to have a solid faith, then I believe it should be able to withstand any serious scrutiny, right? So, I mean, do I agree with everything Hitchin says? Of course not. I don't agree 100% with any book out there anyway, but that doesn't mean Hitchens doesn't have anything good to say. In fact, he might have some legitimate criticisms of religion, and I believe he does. Now remember, I just teamed up with Audible.com, so if you love listening to audiobooks, then you can download Hitchens' book absolutely free with the free 30-day trial just so you can check him out. That's a dope deal, man. Free is always good for me. I enjoyed listening to Hitchens' audiobook, especially because he has a cool accent. So just go to www.audibletrial.com slash flipside. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com slash flipside for Hitchens' audiobook or any free audiobook of your choice. Just in case you already read it or heard it, uh, you can get something else. So go check it out. 
Now, if you missed my Kindle promo a few weeks ago for my first book, So You Thought You Knew Letting Go of Religion, it's all good because I'll be having another Kindle promo for my new book, The Secret to Awesomeness, starting August 5th. So put that in your calendar, folks. There's going to be a huge discount on it for a few days, so you don't want to miss it. And it's cool because I recently read a new review of it just a few days ago where someone said it moved them to tears. And I got to say, I love reading stuff like that, you guys. Um, you know, because unlike my first book, which had more to do with my journey out of religion, my new book talks a lot about my personal life and my struggles and insecurities and how I was able to overcome a lot of them. And also how I was able to pursue my dreams. You see, I can't always talk about religion, folks. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you got to talk about other things in life, which is why I wrote the book. Anyway, go check it out on August 5th for the Kindle promo or get it for free on Audible today with the link that I'm going to provide. So remember, all the links and resources mentioned in the, on the show, it's going to be in the description. So don't worry about it. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to write a review and rate it on iTunes. And if you have any questions or you just want to show some love, just leave it in the comments below and share this podcast with your friends. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll see you guys on the flip side. I'm out. Peace.